So when, when Michelle asked me, she just said to me, Pam, just share about the life, the day and a day in the life of Pam Dysinger. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that is so wrong. I said, well, I mean, that's, that's humbling. And it's, it, she's not asking me because she thinks that I've arrived and that I have it all together. And I'm not here to share because I've arrived and I have it all together. Um, I feel very inadequate and my shortcomings are ever before me. But it's encouraging that we serve a God that can work in and through us, um, even in our imperfections and in our weakness. So I'm going to start with just a real day in my life, which is, is humbling. And I was struggling. And this was about maybe three weeks ago. And we had come out of six months of intense marketing. We had had an emotionally charged, amazingly wonderful engagement of our oldest, our daughter. As soon as that happened, she started traveling. She was very much not really around for about five weeks. Um, I was doing her work, my work. We were still marketing. The CSA was done. I had registrations coming in. I had homeschooling that needed to be done. I had 30 bushels of applesauce that I needed to can. The kitchen downstairs where we package was a mess. My closet was a mess. My desk was a mess. My pantry was a mess. I just felt the devil was like on my tail. And every place I looked, I felt there's chaos. There's chaos. There's chaos. Lord, I cannot get a handle on it. I kept praying. You can know intellectually all the right answers. You can know um, I, I'm well read in Spirit of Prophecy and the Bible. And I, I, you know, the Lord was trying, but I was not letting go. I was not letting go. And I just plummeted. I plummeted into despair. And the devil knows how to get you when you're there. And he works through people in your family, situations, circumstances, to get our minds and our eyes off of, our, off of him and onto ourselves. Off of him and onto our children. Off of him, onto our weaknesses. Off of him, onto our husband's weaknesses, our children's weaknesses. And so after, after morning worship, we had read something that was like the last straw for me. Can you, I mean, have you been there? From the spirit of prophecy, I read it. And it was something about, must have been about Joseph or Daniel. I mean, it was just like the perfect life. They, they were perfect in all that they did. And it was just like, ah, that's not me. I fell so, so far short. And I left worship and I just told my family, you know what? I need some time out. And I went in my bedroom and shut the door and I just boohooed. I fell on my knees. I said, Lord, I cannot continue. I have so much on me. <clears throat> you know, all those things I mentioned on top of my personal bookkeeping, on top of the farm's bookkeeping, on top of the LLP's bookkeeping, on top of registrations for this, on top of getting recipes for the cafeteria, and on and on and on. I was just to totally overwhelmed. 
And I just, you know what I said to the Lord? I am not speaking there unless you give me some answers that I have forgotten because I know I've known him in the past. But today I cannot see any answers to the total overwhelmed, frazzled life that I live. God is so faithful. It wasn't like he said, ding dong, but he did. He just started to break through and say, Pam, there are some things that you have forgotten. There are some things that you have forgotten. So I want to share some of those things that the Lord brought to my... That's me. <laughs> I was harvesting lettuce before we came, and they had frosted. We took the inside out, and I said to Kirsten, hey, this make a great hat. So I put it on, and Caleb, who was, who was watching, thought that was funny. So why are we frazzled? I can say this is why I get frazzled. Number one is I focus on the negative. That's what I was doing when I was just hitting that point where I said, Lord, I cannot do it. I was all about the negative. Number two, we become frazzled when we have unrealistic expectations. We just put too much on ourselves. It's unrealistic. I'm the queen of that. Um, third, and this is the thing that the Lord really, really got through to me as I was on my knees, is... Um, wrong priorities. Pam, you have your priorities mixed up. You're focusing on things that are good things to do, but they're not the priority for today. So we get our priorities messed, messed up. Um, not able to say no. That's not such a hard thing for me, but in some ways it is, you know. Um, as, as I evaluated on my knees that day, and I said, Lord, show me. What can I take away? What, is, what can I remove from my life to give me more time? Um, there was one thing, one thing that the Lord gave me that I should remove. But everything else that's on me is on me because of my role as mother, because of my role as helpmeet to my husband. I take that very seriously. It's my responsibility to help my husband succeed at what the Lord gives him to do. That is my calling. And so, and being a mother and being faithful to my children. So I, I'm fairly decent at saying no to things that don't fall under my wife and my mother role. Um, conforming to the world's ideas of education. I, those of you who are here and you heard Byron's and, and Janice's sharing this morning, they kind of touched on that. Um, not getting adequate sleep, that is, that is a hard thing. And I'm, I'm, I don't always get adequate sleep. And when, when I was going through this time, I was definitely not getting enough sleep. Overcommitted. I'm overcommitted. I've been overcommitted for a number of weeks. Um, but God can still be faithful in our overcommitment. Spending too much time on social media. Now, that's not me, but that might be you. And that is a very, very big time waster. And if you feel like a frazzled mom and you have too much on you, make sure that you are not letting social media steal from your family what is rightfully theirs. So, here's where it starts. 
It starts with our priorities. What is your priority? If I were to ask you to prioritize, what is the most important priority in your life? Good answers, but there's no doubt, no doubt that God is the priority. Start your day with God. And I want to tell you, that is a non-negotiable. If you don't have time to mop the floors, let it go. If you don't have time to clean out the closet, let it go. But you have to. It's a non-negotiable. You have to start your day with God. So this is one of my favorites. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your first work. Nothing else. Nothing else. Your first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. Consecrate your God, yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be, to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. So that's the first step. That is the first step in defrazzling. You have to make God the priority. And I'm not talking about taking five minutes. I'm talking about as much time as you can. Um, going on, defrazzle. Here's how I do it. Well, first you have to get adequate rest. And I want to caution you here. There are some people who think adequate rest means, well, I need eight, I need nine hours, I need more than nine hours. I have to have eight or I have to have eight and a half. And it's very interesting. I saw, I, I sat in on a seminar one time by a medical person who showed that too much sleep has the same effects on your body as too little sleep. And so that's a, that is a very, you have, to be, you have to know yourself. So I know that in the summer, I function on about seven hours of sleep. And I, I can do that because I have to do that. And God sustains me. But I can get by on seven hours of sleep. It's probably because I get a lot of outdoor exercise. I, I'm busy. So, and the sun rises early and it stays up late. So I do too. I rise early and I stay up late in the summer. So seven hours I can get by on in, in the summertime. Winter, pretty much I'm faithfully getting eight. And I, I, don't, I don't use an alarm. Um, I wake when the Lord wakes me. And he is faithful. And if I see, I see some of those faces. I want to tell you, do you know Isaiah 50, verse 4? It's Jesus talking. He, the Father, wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen as one being taught. The Lord will waken you. I, that is my testimony. I've not used an alarm clock for at least 18 years. I mean, that's a long time. And, and you know what? Occasionally, I sleep a little late, and I look at my watch, oh! and then I say, oh, Lord, you must have known that I needed that extra. That's a wonderful thing. So get adequate sleep. We talked already about simplifying life. Declutter, de-junk. That, that's in the mind. That's in, the, in the, um, the material possessions. That's in, as one person was sharing with me, that's in your diet. Simplify your diet. You know, beans and rice are perfect protein, and they take very little time to, to cook, and to, they don't take much time to prepare. Um, 
Keep your diet simple. Keep your external simple. Keep your mind simple. It will help you to be less frazzled. Um, get outside exercise. Now, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you get outside every day and exercise in some way? That doesn't mean you ex that mean, doesn't mean you're walking, but it means you're doing some kind of manual labor, whether it's in the garden or walking or jump roping or something. It's an essential. We need it. For me, I don't. Walking seems to take far too much time. I, for me, I just have a hard time. I'd much prefer to run or to jump rope. But when we're in the midst of our farm season, that's plenty of exercise for me. Lots of fresh air, plenty of exercise, and so um, I get out. Uh, it's, a, it's a perfect way to, to just let the stress go. Play or work with your children. So that's a really important thing. If you don't play with your children, and if you're not intentional about play, um, you can have a lot of stress in your relationship with your children. But if you will get down on their level and play with them, take time to play, be their companion. You know, we, our family plays a lot of Frisbee. I'm not very good at Frisbee, but every Sunday afternoon, I go out and I play Frisbee with my kids, not just my kids, but the kids in our neighborhood. Now, we don't have a neighborhood. The closest neighbor we have is, well, they're here. The Andersons in the back. They're our closest neighbor, just about. But we have, a mile away, a whole slew of kids who have terrible home situations. And our family has taken it upon us to make that our ministry and to reach out. So those kids come and they play. Their moms do not play with them. You know, this summer we went swimming together and I went off the zip line. And one of those boys came to me afterwards and said, Wow, I, I can't believe you did that. My mom would never do that. <laughs> you know, is it because I just love to zip line and because I just love to swim in the pond? No. No, it's because I know what it means to my children. I know what it means to these other kids who come. I know the morale boost that it is to me. It's important to play with our children. And then again, prioritize. I wanted to bring, but then I just thought, oh, I will not have a lot of time. How many of you have ever seen the little illustration with walnuts and sand? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I wished I had done it. So let me tell you about it. If I were to ask you, well, what you do is, and you should take this home and do it with your kids, because it's a very neat illustration. So you fill, um, you put sand and in, in a jar, and then you put walnuts in, and you fill it up as much as you can. Okay, so you put the sand in first, and then you put the walnuts on top. And see how many, you know, how, what you can get. Um, but what you want to do, and here's where you, you flip it around, and you say, um, you, you have to put in the walnuts first. The walnuts are your priorities. So the first thing that goes in is time with God. The next thing that goes in is time with your family, time to worship, time to eat. time to... So just imagine this. You're filling this jar with all these walnuts, and then you put the sand in, and it all fits. It will all fit. 
But now if you take it apart and you put the sand in first and then you put the walnuts on top, it will not fit. It will not fit. And you've seen it like with a drawer, a cluttered drawer. Everything can just be coming out of the drawer. It's a mess, but you take everything out, you bring order to it, you put it back in. Wow, how'd that all fit in there? I know you've experienced it. But go home and try the walnut. It's about your priorities. What's the most important, you have to put in first. And then the sand is all the filler stuff. If it's a priority to play with your children, play with your children. Do not let the things that you think you have to do take that sand in your life, take the priority, the precedence. I do not have time to play with my children. I don't. I do not have time, but I make time because I don't have, I can't not play with them. I just have them for a short time. And mine are big. For me, play is more like sitting and talking, really entering into their world, um, trying to take time with each. I have five. That's a lot of kids to try to spread yourself between. And I know some of you here have more than that. Um, So prioritize your day. Put the walnuts in first, and there will be more time for the sand. But if you put the sand in first, you will not have time for the walnuts. You will not have time for your priorities. I'm not very seasoned at PowerPoints, and I have a significant part that I'm missing, (laughs) which is all my notes. (laughs) So there's one thing. This is the priority. And I have this quote. It hangs on my bathroom wall. Above all things. Above how many things? All. All. All, You mean homeschooling and cleaning my house and everything. Above all things, parents should surround their children with an atmosphere of cheerfulness, courtesy, and love. I know some of you are saying, whew, wow. A home where it finds expression in looks, in words, in acts, is a place where angels delight to dwell. Parents, let the sunshine of love, cheer and happy content, enter your own hearts, manifest a kindly, forbearing spirit. The atmosphere thus created will be to your children what air and sunshine are to the vegetable world. Wow, above all else, you know? I want to sometimes put the homeschooling above all else. I can become very intense when what I think needs to happen in a day is not happening. And above all else, above what I think needs to happen, to have that cheerfulness, courtesy, and love is exactly what our children need. Um, So that's kind of the, the defrazzled part. But the agrarian life is what God called me to. He called me to it, and I came dragging my feet, for sure. I was not interested in that when I married my husband. I had every good reason to think that by this stage in our life, he would be an educational superintendent of a conference, and that's where we were headed. I mean, he had those gifts, those talents. We were in denominational employee. We were teaching. Um, But the Lord called us away from that into an agrarian life. And that agrarian life has challenged me in many ways, but all ways that God knew I needed. 
So let's, let's look at education. And this quote, the education, this is one that we love because it shows, this is talking about Israel, okay? The education centering in the family was that which prevailed in the days of the patriarchs. Was that God's original plan? Absolutely. It was his original plan that the, the education centered in the family. The men who held, for, held fast God's principles of life dwelt among the fields and, hill, and hills. It compares them with the ones who didn't hold fast to God, who guess what they did? They went and built cities. So those who held fast God's principle of life dwelt among the fields and hills. They were tillers of the soil and keepers of flocks and herds. And in this free, independent life, with its opportunities for labor and study and meditation, they learned of God and taught their children of his works and his ways. I can say that that's been my privilege to have that kind of life and to be able to um, daily teach my children the ways of the Lord as I'm learning them because I don't think we really knew um, what we were getting into. So when we, were, when we were coming under conviction, we were in um, Nairobi, Kenya, teaching at Maxwell Academy. And we were just hungering and thirsting to know, Lord, what should we do? We'd been working for six years with missionaries' children, and I can tell you that was a very sad eye-opener. I mean, I can just hardly talk about it without feeling a lot of pain for the things that I saw in missionaries' children the things that those missionaries' children suffered with and struggled with. And my husband did counseling and, and the things that he heard. And it changed our life. It helped us. To, we just said, Lord, we are not willing to just continue on. What is it going to take? And my husband and I took a weekend retreat. We retreated. We had two little children at that point. And we opened God's word and we opened the spirit of prophecy and we said, teach us. What what can we do? We knew nobody. I mean, I tell you, we were the youngest on our staff. There was one other family who was in our, we were newlyweds when we went. But all of them were quite a lot ahead of us. And there's no place for judging. None. But it's important that we look at the fruits. What kind of fruit do we want in our family? And if we don't like the fruit that we see around us, then we have to say, Lord, help us. What do we do? And this was the first quote that just, like, wow, wow. I mean, we came straight out of the academic world. My husband was all about academics. His family was all about academics. I, my family was academic, and that's what, we had, that's what we had bought into. And here's what we read. This is from the Word, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. I take it from the NIV. That's where we found it, and that's where... The words have meant the most to us. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I can tell you that we were not leading a quiet life at that point. We were on 24-7 with um, academy life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. 
It's like, wow, never ever had read that before. And it was definitely a wake-up call for us. It wasn't an immediate turn. We left Africa and we, um, we came back to the States. The Lord opened up the way for my husband to go and get his master's in education, which is just a joke, but that's what we did. And that's what it seemed like we were supposed to do. And it was a wonderful experience because we had no responsibilities in, those, in that year. And then we came back and my husband taught at an elementary school for two years until the Lord called us again. We had never been exposed to homeschooling. I was a teacher. He was a teacher. Um, it wasn't until we moved to Tennessee and he was a teacher in the school that we met our first homeschooling family. This, this quote, and I'm sorry, I don't have the... Um, I don't have the reference, but it's in the book Education. Um, with the people of that age, and this is talking about Jesus, with the people of that age, the value of all things was determined by outward show. What do you think of that? You think it's still that way today? Absolutely. It was, it was all about outward show. To all this, the life of Jesus presented a marked contrast. His life demonstrated the worthlessness of those things that man regard, that men regard as life's great essentials. Born amidst surroundings, born amidst surroundings, the rudest, sharing a peasant's home, a peasant's fair, a, craftsman, a craftsman's occupation, living a life of obscurity, identifying himself with the world's unknown toilers. Amidst the conditions of, and surroundings, Jesus followed the divine plan for education. Did you get Jesus followed the divine plan of education. So what, what is that divine plan? The schools of his time, with their magnifying of things small and their belittling of things great, he did not seek. His education was gained directly from heaven-appointed sources. Okay, the heaven-appointed sources. Thank you. I don't... So here they are. Number one. Useful work. Number two, the study of the scriptures and of nature. And number three, from the experiences of life. God's lesson book, full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand, the seeing eye, and the understanding heart. So, thank you so much. Oh, this is education 77.2. 77. So, useful work. These are some hands that have been doing useful work at our farm. Anybody know what those hands are dirty with? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. That's a farmer's wife. That is the result of trellising tomatoes. 
Okay, education means more than the mere study of books. It is, it is necessary to both the physical and the mental powers to exercise, be exercised in order to have a proper education. When in council with the Father before the world was, it was designed that the Lord God should plant a garden for Adam and Eve in Eden and give them the task of taking care for the fruit tree of the fruit trees and cultivating and training the vegetables. Useful labor was to be their safeguard and it will be and it was to be perpetuated through all generations to the close of earth's history. So I'm not sure where my pictures of useful labor are, but I think that they'll be some more. <laughs> Technology is such a mixed bag. You know, I did this on my iPad and it was it was transferred and I think I lost some things. So, useful labor. I will say this about useful labor. If you do not have useful labor for your children, do whatever it takes. I mean whatever it takes. If that means you need to change occupations or your husband needs to change occupations, whatever it takes. Children must have useful occupation. Something more than taking out the trash. I mean, when our kids were little, we depended on them. They had to work. Um, they had to be involved with everything that we did. Uh, we depended on them. Scripture. The Bible contains all the principles that men need to understand in order to be fitted either for this life or for the life to come. What more? I mean, if we make the Bible a bigger priority in our education, there's a promise. They will be fitted either for this life or for the life to come. God can do with our children just what he did with Bezalel. Bezalel in the, in the Old Testament and wilderness, he was not a craftsman. The Bible is very clear. When he was called to do the artistic crafting of the, tank, of the sanctuary, God gave him the gift, the skills. It was a God-appointed calling, thus God equipped him. Why do we think that he can't do the same for our children? So, labor, the study of scriptures, and nature. I love this quote. So far as possible, let the child from his earliest years be placed where this wonderful lesson book shall be open before him. And I would say open before him every day. Every day. Not just when you vacation. And in all his works, learn of the creator. There's so much to be learned through nature, through the things of his creation. What time am I supposed to end? 3.45. Three, wow. Well, I have rushed through it, and I think this is my, oh, I guess it's not my last. <laughs> I can't even tell when. I'm so let me show you. This is Caleb. Now, one of, he's my youngest. He's 11 now. But one of the most amazing things about farm life is that there's work for everyone. As soon as you're big enough to stand on the chair, 
you're big enough to sift compost and you become the number one compost sifter. Now, Caleb has about outgrown compost sifting, so um, we have others that have to sift compost now, but um, he still does it very, very readily and very happily. But, you know, as soon as they're big enough to stand and do, they can plant the large seeds. We use a soil blocking system. They can plant the large seeds in those, in those blocks. Um, useful labor. Here's Joshua. This is my, my second boy. Bottle feeding a goat. He is my animal lover. He, he's the, he has a wonderful little flock of hens that follow him everywhere he goes as he passes their, their, their penned area. Um, he's always been that way. He'll always take care of the creatures. And this bottom one is obviously my bare-legged, barefooted for sure girl who, um, who has lived in the book of nature her whole life and has taught her brothers about the frogs and the salamanders and the snakes and the whatever. When she was about 11, we were attending a family camp meeting and there was a big lake there. And the boys, there was a bunch of boys down there. And of course her brothers were all there and they, they had these sticks and they had found a big snake that they were trying to catch. And <laughs> Kirsten, of course, wanted to be a part of that and they wanted nothing of it. And um, there was quite the group there and it was just kind of funny. She, she asked one boy, can I have your stick? The snake had gotten down into the water. Can I have your stick? And he very begrudgingly, gave his stick to Kirsten. <laughs> and I came up sometime after that, and, and they were around there and play, and you know, trying to get the snake. And this one boy said to me, I said, so did somebody catch a snake? And he said, no, but that girl took my stick. <laughs> of course, he didn't know that that girl was any connection to me. I said, so have you ever caught a snake? He said, no, I've never caught a snake, but I almost did one time. Just about that time, Kirsten comes out of with with it by the neck, right there, holding up the snake that was literally as tall as she was. And these boys' mouths just like, and these dads' mouths just. And I had one mom come to me afterwards and say, "How did you teach her to do that?" I said, "I trust me, I did not teach her to do that. I would not do that." But nature is the teacher. Nature is the teacher. If, if they grow up surrounded by nature, they do not fear it. They realize, okay, I mean, of course, trust me, we had taught them about poisonous snakes. She knows about poisonous snakes. She knew what to look for. She knew this was not a poisonous snake. Um, but nature is an amazing lesson book. And when kids grow up with it, they don't fear it. They just kind of embrace it. It's like, oh, salamanders, whatever, frogs, whatever. So we've raised many things, from baby deers to baby rabbits to um, Kirsten had a, a goose that, that we raised, waddles. We've done many things. So it, we listed those three things that Jesus were, were his God-appointed education. Useful labor, the Bible, and what was the third one? Nature. And then the la experiences of life. Now, what do you think the kinds of experiences Jesus had might have been? 
Do you think he worked in the garden? Yes. I mean, there's no doubt. He had the experience of helping his mother in the home. He had the experience of helping his family. There's a neat quote in education, and I want to just encourage you, if you have not read the book Education, and you are homeschooling, that needs to be your study, because that is the foundation. The book Education is such a classic work, and if we only applied it, we would be the head where we have become, well, I don't want to say what we are, but you know, it's we would be the head. People would be coming after us to want, what have you done with your kids? Because the education God has designed for us is so different. Um, so for us, it's, it has been many different things. Um, here's Caleb is a woodworker. Now, I always wanted a woodworker. He's my fourth boy, and he's the first one who really loves to do woodworking. And last September, we went to a fair up in Maine, and there he saw some woodworkers, and he saw this bench that they had. I don't know what it's called, but um, he decided he needed one of those. And so he went home and built one. Built it from scratch. I'm sure one of his brothers might have helped him with maybe the chop saw part of it, but he built it. He designed it. It wasn't perfect. He had to tweak it, but you know, it's a um, it's a draw knife. I don't even know what it's called. It's a he. You sit on it and you put your wood there and you push on the pet. It's not a pedal, but you push and the thing clamps. So it's not just like I said, Caleb, how did you figure out how to do that? How did you remember what it looked like? It's amazing how the mind can work and to take in. And he had a picture he, he looked at, I guess. But that's one of the useful things that he, he does. Um, we do maple syrup. We tap maple trees. Um, our boys started that business. It's called Sticky Brothers Maple Syrup. And... I mean, there's no end. A farm, an agrarian life gives no end to lessons that you learn from life. Amen. The bottom corner here, we had uh, our septic system went out. And we had somebody come in and get a quote for what it was going to cost to fix it. It was just ridiculously high. And we decided we were going to tackle the job. So my boys and my husband did some research, figured out what we needed to do, and that is them trying to finish the septic system job. I mean, there's, there's no end. They, you, they can teach themselves to weld. There's um, grafting. We graft all our tomatoes today. Um, just from the garden alone, they learn things like perseverance, um, common sense. They learn how to troubleshoot, how to solve problems. I mean, when you need to do a job, but you don't have what you need to do it, then you have to figure out how to do it. And you use what you've got. So you take the, kit, the, the principle you learn in the kitchen, stir what you've got, and you take it to the garden, and you do it. And my husband 
um, loves to remember the time when we started realizing that our oldest boy had a lot of very mechanical and practical, I mean, he just, he just was a man from a little tiny, tiny guy, a little boy who could get the job done. And so he and John were working in the greenhouse one day, and he had a bale of peat moss. Now, our bales stand about three feet, four feet tall. They're big. They're big things. And John was looking for a pair of scissors. But my husband is a man who just does everything the way that you, you know, you've always done it mainly. You know, you just think in the box that you've grown up with. So he's looking for a pair of scissors to, to cut open the top of this bag while Jonathan sees that there's a saw sitting on the floor and he just, just, you know, sawed off the top and there you go. And John was just, well, I never thought about doing it that way before. <laughs> That's kind of been the, the character of our farm life. Jonathan is always, he's the inventor, always was trying to figure out a faster way to do a job. Wasn't always faster, I can tell you. So, let's end with this quote. God's lesson book, full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand, the seeing eye, and the understanding heart. So God's lessons book is full of all the things. This is the end of that quote. See, I lost the middle part. The middle part was supposed to be someplace else in this presentation. So this is the ending. God's lesson book, it is full. It is full and overflowing of things that we can learn. And it, there's no end of creativity. I could show you so many pictures. This is, this is the last one Kirsten chose. Um, that is, guess what? Can you figure out what that is? Celery. Did your mother tell you? You're a, you're a smart boy. That is celery. And that's my creative one who has taken the piece of celery and has turned it into a, a horse of sorts. <laughs> he must have gotten bored while we were picking celery. So, any questions about being frazzled or about homeschooling or about the agrarian life in general? How do I go about scheduling it all? It's a good question. So for me, what, were you here when the Smiths talked this morning? I'm sorry you weren't. But her testimony and my testimony are like twin sisters. So as soon as I was determined to be scheduled and have, okay, I'm going to do homeschooling, there was always a crisis on the farm. <laughs> and we had no workforce, but here we are, myself and Kirsten and the boys and... I would be so frustrated, be like, ah, why does this always happen? Just when I am committed to getting back to the books, committed to being on schedule, committed to doing whatever. So here's how I've done scheduling. <laughs> Remember, we read at the beginning that you make your plans, and then you surrender those plans to God to be executed or laid down as his providence <clears throat> indicates. Well, his providence indicated many, many times that I laid my plans down. So then when I had to do that, then you have to trust. And if I could have known then what I know now, I would never have stressed about that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that my kids are perfect or that they have nothing of that. 
I want to say that God's form of education is perfect. And when you follow God's form of education, if your children, children are called to do anything, God will equip them. They will, they will have the skills. Janice shared this morning how her daughter at 15 took an exam, and she really was in fourth grade books or something like that, you know, just way, in her mind, way low. She scored on the upper academy and college level. They were flabbergasted. They were shocked. There was only one area that she was low, and she scored at a seventh, eighth grade level, which was really not low for where she was. So God's form of education works. It works. Useful labor. You have to have useful labor. You have to fill their lives with, um, with valuable things to do. It's not just about filling their lives. It's about it being really an educational kind of life. Oh, so let me finish, though. So on scheduling, what a schedule for us included was worship always before breakfast, breakfast following worship, and we do it at, I mean, we're pretty, we pretty much are pretty scheduled with that. It's at 7 o'clock we have worship, at 7.30 we have breakfast, at 1.30 we have lunch, and in the summer our evening schedule isn't so good. We usually take some time at lunch and after to just debrief and talk and whatever, and we work in the evenings in the summer. In the winter, we pretty much try to stop by 6.30. We have family time. We sit, we talk, we visit, we play a game, we read, um, and we have worship in the evening. So the things that, are, that, that were non-negotiable in our schedule was eating together at the same time every day. I mean, you understand. There are always things that, but we, we really try and then um, worshiping together. If you don't have time to worship and eat together, just go back and say, Lord, is there something I need to change about my life? Are you eating only two meals a day? Yes and no. Um, my husband and I eat two meals a day. Um, but when you're doing an uh, agriculture, it is hard. And I've got four boys plus some extras. <laughs> I've, I'm, I've always got extras. but. Um, so it's not uncommon. It's, at, at our house, it's sort of like you can pull it out. You can make popcorn. You can have bread and peanut butter and applesauce. You get it out. You clean it up. Um, but that has been a frustration for us, especially in the summer, because they're not ready to eat before we go out to work. And then by the time we quit work, they come in. They're wanting to eat at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. That's not the best. But... You know, we, you, do it, you just figure out the best way. We've tried many different things, but our, our summer schedules are pretty intense. I, our workers are our family. We do not hire. This year was the first time we actually hired people. We hired some neighbor boys, and we don't feed them. Um, if I did, it would definitely be a ministry, and I would just be full-time in the kitchen. I'm, I'm almost full-time. I really was almost full-time for lunches this year. My kids make breakfasts, even in the summer, and I go out and work. John and I always work from 5 to 7 in the mornings um, in the summertime when the sun's up early. And my devotion, my sit-down, open-the-Bible reading devotion time is, is less, but I can say my walk with the Lord in the summer is more. 
because of that time in the garden in the morning that where it's quiet and I can just really commune with the Lord. Happy right. kids so, so what do we do? <laughs> what do we do when, when we have to ask our kids to go above and beyond the call of duty and we want them to do it with a happy spirit? I can tell you that for some, they've gained the victory over that. Um, but it takes time. And that's my, my oldest ones. You so know. do you ignore that attitude or do you work no. with it? No, you um, have to work with the attitude. So we, you know, there's just a lot of times where there's just a lot of work that has to be done on the farm. And my kids do work in the home too. They, they're not free because we don't have a maid and I, I'm not a maid. I, I have to work too. We work together and on the farm and we work together in the home. Um, there's, no, there's no quick answer. It's just to say that God, well... The Bible's very clear. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? It's, it's the will of God. It's, it's what, it's, yeah. I mean, God requires it. If you want to be a child of the light, if you want to be a follower, of, we have to overcome in that area. And so, yes, I do, like you said, you know, if you're going to be grumpy about it, um, you'll just have to work more. And sometimes I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll send my husband a text and I'll say, I'll send one out to him, especially when they were younger, I would do this. Don't send them back until they're happy. Let them work it off. I mean, work is an amazing alterer of attitudes. And, so, and, and I just, our kids never, I never felt like, well, let me say this. It was never a consequence to have to go outside and work. Um, because they loved it. My boys would do anything to get outside, you know. So I had to be more careful. But with an, a negative attitude, I would send them out with a note to their dad, say, work them until they have a happy spirit. But they'd know when they came back in, they still had all the work to do that they hadn't gotten done in the meantime. So yeah. they earned their money. So but From your farm? From, from our, places? yes. So we, no, they've never... Our attitude has been this. We can't, we can't hire you out to someone else unless, until we can give you a good recommendation. You, you've got to get it from us first. You know, we've got to be able to, with the, we want you to earn the privilege to work off the farm. Um, so they did little businesses that would, Kirsten made granola. She sold granola to our customers. Jonathan made cookies. He sold cookies to our customers. Um, what have they done? They did the maple syrup for a while. They, they're all very entrepreneurial. So they would earn a little pocket money. In the spring at strawberry time, we often did pay them to pick strawberries. Um, one year, we, we, we contracted with them to, to weed, and we said, you know, these are your rows. You keep them clean, and we'll get you each a backpack or it was a sleeping bag, something that was going to just, you know, help our family. We didn't have money for those kinds of things, but, you know, you, you make it work. And I'll say this, we pay our children now. First, we started with profit sharing, and then this year we just set kind of a flat, this is what you're going to get. We don't earn a sal we do not earn an hourly wage on the farm, and we've tried to help them to understand that to pay an hourly wage for our operation is unrealistic. 
And so this is how much we're, you are paid, and they just understand that they understand the sacrifice that is for us to pay them. Um, and we do it out of principle, not because we think we can do it, because the book, the, the, the budget says we can't pay them. It's the same thing like time. There's no way. We cannot do it. We can't afford to do it, but we can't afford not to do it. We want them to be invested. Did they just reach a certain age? Or your 11-year-old's not getting No, he is it's, not. It's, how do you determine at what? We, you know, we didn't have the resources or the freedom to do it as they were coming up. Um, but at... I would say, well, the youngest one who actually started getting money was was my third boy, and he was probably 15 when he started getting some money from the farm. But like Caleb has all kinds of little businesses. Yes. So Caleb crochets. His popsicles. Yeah. Why don't you come and do that? I, sh- I wish I'd brought you up from the moment you came in. Caleb is very entrepreneurial, too. He's following in his brother's footsteps. And not only are my boys entrepreneurial, but they influence others who come. So Nick did not come to us very entrepreneurial, I do not believe. But Nick gave Caleb this great idea this summer. (laughs) And he said, Caleb, why don't you... Because Caleb would go to Whole Foods Market with me where I set up in front of the store. And um, so he said, why don't you buy... Um, ice cream bars, rice cream bars, and sell them on the farm. <sighs> there was a little bit of, I'm sure Nick was thinking about the, the fact he could buy them if they were there in the refrigerator, which they're not usually there in the freezer. So Caleb thought, oh, great idea. Well, we soon transitioned to something which I felt better about, which was just popsicles, fruit pops. And so Caleb sold fruit popsicles on the farm to those who work on the farm all summer. 100% markup. 100% markup he did on them. And his brothers bought them, and his uncles bought them, and his, his cousins bought them. And I mean, he, it was great. So we believe if they earn it, they understand that money doesn't just fall off of trees. They don't just get money out of their parents' pocket. I don't have it to share. But I can help them learn how to get it. So Caleb also did crocheted washcloths this summer, and so yes. Well, our time is up. Thank you so much. Michelle, you want to end? Sure. So I just want to thank everyone for coming to this breakout session. And, um, you know, I know Pam would say the same thing, that we're all available throughout the rest of the conference to talk and thereafter. Um, their farm is only 45 minutes away from here, and we, um, I personally consider their family a huge blessing in my life, and we're all in this together. I just want to reiterate that. You know, we're living in a time, Jesus is coming soon, and Satan knows that, but we're called to press together and be a support for one another, and that's what encourages me, so... Let's pray together, and then the Sabbath is soon upon us, so we're going to have some sundown singing together at 4.30, um, which is going to be wonderful. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise for anything that is good in our lives. 
We want to thank you for the school book of nature and farming. The testimonies we've heard of these children who have excelled in schoolwork, not um, with any specific schedule or book learning until they were much older to me is just major insight and wisdom. It's there in spirit of prophecy, Lord. Many of us have probably never heard it. And I just, I thank you for the spirit of prophecy that tells us and teaches us that. I pray that you give each mom here the courage, the wisdom, the strength to study that out for themselves, Lord. Have them go and look into these things in the book Education. Have that be um, their lesson book in learning how to teach their children, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you so much for your mercy, your grace. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we just want to thank you for the Sabbath that's upon us. We pray that you help all of our minds to be settled in you. And again, Lord, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.